Hey, this is Kenny. Thanks for listening to Behind the Drapes. The goal of the show is to inspire and give insight into the healthcare system through the lens of an anesthesiologist. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to the channel so that you get new episodes as they come out. Hope you enjoy this week's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Behind the Drapes. I'm your host, Kenny, and today we have a very special episode with a friend that I met back in 2019, back at Penn State, uh, Kara Pierce. She's a real estate agent, and she is well-decorated as a real estate agent. Uh, She was ranked number one in her corporation and has been decorated with awards for the most closed units, volume, and listings taken for 2022. In 2020, she was honored as Harrisburg simply the best in two categories, the best real estate agent and the best real estate team. She was also nationally recognized in 2017 as Realtors Magazine 30 Under 30, which I believe is what brought her to Chicago, where she is right now, zooming in with me. So I met Kara back in 2019 when I was graduating medical school, where her and her husband put on Um, basically a one evening conference for graduating medical students to help us bridge the gap of becoming um, uh, going from students to being professionals and what that means from a real estate perspective. And when you're graduating medical school, you can end up anywhere in the country. And I remember Kira being a very useful resource for me, even though I was moving from central Pennsylvania to New England. She had connections in New England and was just a very easy person to talk to. So I'm very excited to have her on the show today to provide all of you with more information about decision makings regarding renting versus buying, how to navigate the real estate field, and what it's like when you're in attending, when you have more money than you do in residency, and how that looks for your housing network going forward. So welcome, Kara, to the show. Thanks, Kenny. I'm actually curious, did you end up buying or renting up near Brown? So we ended up renting, actually. And I think what it came down to was, if I remember correctly, the sweet number that you had told us, and maybe I'm just remembering this incorrectly, was four years. Like if you know you're going to be somewhere for at least four years, that would be the time to invest. Um, And my wife and I were only planning on being in Rhode Island for three years because I did my intern year at Penn State Hershey. (laughs) And then anesthesia Mm. residency was three years. So I was only anticipating Mm. to be in Providence for three years. So we ended up renting. Gotcha. Okay. I'll let you ask the questions. No, that's good. (laughs) This is a conversation forum. So please. Um, But yeah, so anyways, um, do you kind of remember what motivated you to do that presentation for us as medical students? And was that something that you continued doing after I graduated in 2019? I think you were the last year we did that because then COVID happened. Right. Um, so yeah, uh, I mean, we wanted to, was that the casino night? It was. Oh man, that was so fun. It was so fun. <laughs> my One of my roommates actually, I think he won an Apple watch if I'm not mistaken. It was something fancy fancy like that. Who was that? Tyler Swanson. He he went into radiology. He might have been friends with your husband at the time. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we love big parties, so (laughs) we wanted to party hard. um, 
and congratulate you guys on finishing that journey. But uh, also, yeah, I think it's just very relevant to understand the resources that are uniquely available to physicians, even at, you know, post-medical school, start of residency timeframe. So yeah, just wanted to add value, I think. Definitely. And why don't we just start with like the first topic of like renting versus buying. So I think that's always on the forefront of people's brain when they're transitioning to a new place and a new career. Um, what is sort of, how do you approach that when someone first comes to you and says, should I rent or should I buy when I'm moving? You know, it's, it's interesting that you say, I told you about the four-year rule back in the day. So you graduated in 2019? Yeah. Okay. Because since then, what, I guess it's been four years, I've sort of changed my mind about that. <laughs> uh, I think my mindset now is you should buy. Mm. Regardless, regardless of the uh, algorithm, mm -hmm. unless you're masochistic, then you should rent. <laughs> what, what has changed your mind? What happened? I mean, obviously, the housing market is is totally different nowadays compared to what it was four years ago. It is, but now I think I'm understanding that it's that the real estate, maybe just like most investments, is about it's a time game. And so the longer you are in it, the more advantageous and exponentially uh, beneficial it becomes. So yeah, I think at this point, if you have the cash for the deposit and the purchase fees, then you should buy. Um, because I imagine going from medical school to residency, that would be most people's rate limiting factor. Mm -hmm. is not having the cash. I didn't <laughs> when I finished med school. Um, but even though you have your loans, I would say if you don't have the cash for those things, uh, beg, borrow, or steal <laughs> from your family, friends, whatever, uh, grandma, because it's a simple calculation. Like take, and you know, I, I'd like to use the disclaimer that I'm I'm just referring to my particular region around Hershey mm -hmm. at Penn State. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know what it's like in Providence, but um, just in Hershey, take rent, say say it's about $2,000 a month median. And we're then we're talking um, times 12, times three to what, 10 years? What's the longest residency? Neurosurgery? Yeah, which is seven. It's seven. Okay. Why do I feel like there have been people who've been in residency? <laughs> Plus or minus fellowships can put you at like 10 years for sure. That's true. That's true. Yeah. And if you sub, sub specialize in right. cardiology and all that stuff, right? So, right. okay. 2000 times 12 times three to 10 years, we're talking 72,000 to $240,000 of money mm -hmm. down the drain. So people worry about paying interest, taxes, insurance, things you'll never get back if you purchase with a mortgage. But uh, what about real estate appreciation mm -hmm. and tax breaks? I mean, I think I, I've changed my mind about some special formula because I've actually uh, never 
in the last decade that I've been doing this, which isn't that long, I understand. And again, maybe my data set is skewed by the COVID bubble that we've experienced recently. But even before the COVID bubble, in the last 10 years, whenever I have resold a resident's house, sometimes it would be even uh, less than two years because of circumstances. I have never not resold it at a game ever hmm. so far. Uh, maybe somebody will be my first now, <laughs> but, uh, but I haven't. And I think that like, maybe we're thinking about, about it more one dimensionally when the reality is that the appreciation has always compensated for uh, any fees that you would lose through the interest and things like that. Mm -hmm. So, so I, I feel like there's some risk when you purchase in losing money. Whereas when you rent, it's a guarantee you're a hundred percent losing money. Right. So, and, and if we are going to use that formula of four years or more, um, Okay, say you purchase your house and it hasn't appreciated enough in four years, well, say three years, uh, then you can just keep it once you're in attending and accrue the years anyway. Mm -hmm. I just don't think that there is any reason to rent anymore. Mm -hmm. And if I could just play devil's advocate, what would be some of the downsides of buying? Like if you, if you had to come up with some reasons where buying you should think about these things before just jumping right into buying like what sort of hidden fees or unexpected costs mm -hmm. would you say that people encounter when they go down this path you're so smart uh, yeah i think that's actually good to explore because not all homes are made the same and, and again i'm only speaking to our Penn State, Hershey region, but the closer you get to the medical center, usually the price increases and the quality decreases, age increases, and the older homes do have more maintenance. So yeah, I guess, I guess in an ideal world, you would calculate for that sweet spot between age of your home, location, amenities, maintenance, so that you purchase something that's within your means. Because the whole purpose of uh, purchasing your home is to decrease any stress you have. Actually, <laughs> that's the function of everything you do in residency, right? To decrease right. any external stressors so that you can focus on your training. Um. So, yeah, maybe it's important to purchase something that would give you uh, the lowest maintenance risks. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And it seems like I've sort of been doing some ancillary looking on like Zillow or Redfin and the areas that I'm looking at, there's a lot of new neighborhoods that are popping up, which obviously come with its own costs. But I think echo what you're saying. Ideally, there's less maintenance fees that you have to worry about for things like breaking down. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I guess you don't want to get into a money pit, which is sometimes difficult to 
forecast. Predict, but, right, right. Yeah, but maybe during residency, because it's such a stressful time, it's important to uh, find something newer mm -hmm. and value like, yeah, that over uh, or a distance of commute or something like that. Mm -hmm. That's a good question. What else? Um, yeah, I think making sure you don't buy something too expensive that it is going to become stressful, not purchasing too low that you can't take advantage of, you know, lesser commute and more quality of life, safer area or whatever. So that was actually going to be my next question is what sort of budget do you think most residents come out of medical school look at for typical house prices? And we can obviously stick with the central Pennsylvania types of homes, but what's like a ballpark right. for what you're typically looking at with new residents? That's a good question. I think even five years ago, it was around 200,000, maybe 150 to 200. Now that we've experienced this, what I think is a global inflation, um, it's hard to find homes in that price range. Mm -hmm. Now I think 250 to three, and it does seem like five years ago, residents could just use a few thousand dollars, get seller assistance from the seller and yeah, get away with purchasing a home for five, $6,000 total out of pocket, which is crazy now that I think about it. Nowadays, you're not going to get seller assist. Although the market is shifting, it's still a pretty much seller's market. Mm -hmm. And so it does seem like you do need the support of a spouse or a partner or family to help you get that seed money. Mm -hmm. But yeah, prices have definitely crept up more towards three and even above 300,000 now. Mm -hmm. Much higher in the New England area too. I can tell you that. How much is it there? Uh well, I mean, probably closer to like five, six, seven hundred. There's just there's right. a lot of lot of demand and not much supply. I think. Yeah, maybe that's a national phenomenon. Mm -hmm. But uh, do they compensate that with your salary? Honestly, I think my salary is pretty close to what Penn State residents are making. Penn, Penn State was a very good paying employer. Um, and I think for the cost of living that you have in central Pennsylvania, it was, it's a, it's a nice margin that you make there as a resident. So what percent of your resident colleagues are homeowners? Let's see in my class. Wow. That's a really good question. I don't think, I think one or two, two out of like 12, that's like one sixth. Not, wow. not, not many. Mo majority of people, I would say rent, even in like the, like outside of my residency program. And Providence has quite a few, like you're, you're basically in like a small city. Um, so if you don't want to commute in like a 20 to 30 minute commute, I think most people just end up renting in the city. Okay. So the one sixth who are buying, how do they afford it? Or do they just purchase in places that are not as uh, desirable? I think they purchase in places that are like suburbs outside of the city. Um, or there's also examples of residents who have spouses who have jobs outside of medicine um, or had 
previous careers before coming into residency and had more seed money available to them. So I think their situation was a little bit different than um, your typical resident coming out of medical school. Right, right. Okay. So maybe part of the strategy is to identify, pursue, and woo a high income earning partner. Yeah, I think so. I, I, I think that's what you got to do. <laughs> When you're when you're in medical school and you're single and you're on dating apps, that's that's gotta be part of your criteria. <laughs> part of your financial strategy, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So what is rent like in Providence per month? Uh so rent has been increasing quite a bit. Um, especially so I've been renting at the same place. Uh, we'll be going on our fourth year now. Um, and I believe when we started, it was like the low two thousands, like maybe twenty one hundred. Um, for like a one bedroom with a loft, like office space. Um, now mm-hmm. we're getting closer to like 2,700. Um, and it's, it's like the type of apartment complex where they have a gym, um, like a doorman, like a mail room, things like that. So it's like an apartment complex that has nice amenities, but we have seen the the percentage go up year after year. And how far are you from work? Uh, so my commute is less than 10 minutes, which is very nice. Driving or walking? Dri- or? Driving, driving. Driving. You, yeah. Oh. Okay. Yeah. But again, yeah, in, Hers- in Hershey, you could still have a very reasonable commute too. Yeah, for sure. For sure. But yeah, that is fascinating. Um, how the geographic locations may affect your decision to rent or buy. And I think I'm a bit ignorant when it comes to the broader U.S. market, mm-hmm. although I have a lot of colleagues who, you know, work around the country. But, yeah, I, I don't know how it works in other places. Mm-hmm. But definitely here, I do think you need to buy no matter mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. you can. Yeah. I what do you go- think? Does that? Yeah, mm-hmm. no, it Go makes ahead. sense. It makes total sense. I mean, it makes sense what, what you're describing of like it's an investment and you have a set number of years that you're hoping your investment is going to grow. Um, so as long as you have the seed money and you're able to scrap up some change and buy something that's not going to stress you out financially on a month to month basis, I think it makes sense. Right, right. But probably the biggest difference I think that we're realizing from this conversation is wherever geographically you end up for residency is probably going to dictate which way you may end up falling on the side of the coin. Right. Because I'm sure that each local market has its own idiosyncrasies. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are markets where the way it works frustrates that algorithm. Mm -hmm. Um, Doesn't mean it's not still optimal to purchase, but it just may be more difficult. I think still the principle of buy, I stick with that. So maybe Mm -hmm. you've just got to figure out how to factor out that side of it. I'm thinking, I'm thinking an extreme you know, location like Manhattan, mm-hmm. you know, where, I mean, who, who, who can afford millions of dollars? Uh, and even if you can, there are co-ops that you have to apply for to even get in and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I'm speaking from not even knowing that much about it. So yeah. anyway. There is a yeah. phrase that you used. Um, I, I'm forgetting it. It's called, I think, a seller's incentive or... Um seller's mm-hmm. compensation and i i feel like mm-hmm. i have some insight as to what you mean but do you mind just like defining it and going a little bit more into that yes so 
at, again, at least here in Pennsylvania, when you when you purchase, you have buyer costs. And then when you sell, you have seller's costs. Again, in this area, it's typical that the seller will pay both agents commissions. So you don't have to worry about that when you purchase. But Pennsylvania charges a transfer tax of 2% per transaction. So usually the seller will take 1% and the buyer will take 1%. So if we're buying a $300,000 property, it's $3,000 that just you pay in taxes. Um, and then, you you know, if you're financing, you have your escrow and fees, et cetera. So say it costs uh, for a $300,000 house, maybe $15,000 of money that you need even if it's 100% financing, then you can ask the seller to cover a portion of that for you. And usually, you know, each lender is different, but usually it's 3% capped. So 3% is 9,000 for $300,000 house. So 15,000 minus 9,000 is 6,000. So instead of bringing 15K in cash, you only need six. If you can, you know, negotiate for the seller to pay three percent max of your closing costs, mm -hmm. that makes sense. Yeah, what's like a rough estimate that people should anticipate for like closing costs? It very much is dependent on which house around here, because uh, you know taxes can vary. And so if you purchase a home with a higher tax, which is usually a newer build, then your closing costs are just going to be higher because you have to escrow the taxes into your mortgage. Um, whereas in Hershey, if you're close to the med center, you know, those older homes that are like a mm hundred -hmm. years old, mm -hmm. those, even if they've been updated and they're nicer, some of them have lower taxes. So then, you know, closing costs are less. So, and then of if you buy a condo, then your insurance is going to be way less too. So it just, it's multivariable, but around here, I think you would need in this market, 15 to $20,000 okay. to be safe. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a considerable amount of cash if you're coming right out of residency. I mean, uh, out of, out of medical school, I mean. Right, right, right. Which is why, again, I, I don't know how people do it nowadays without the spouse or right. family help, mm -hmm. right. which is why maybe the rental market is flourishing. Yeah, it's true. Which is great for me because I I have a lot of properties. So yeah, I'm someone's, making someone's a lot. Yeah, you're benefiting from that, from that market. Right, right. And that's something that, that that's probably something we're going to talk about later in the conversation is what it's like to be a rental uh, property manager, especially as you become an attending. And like you were mentioning, you buy a house and you decide to hold on to it, even if you move away and then possibly become a property manager of this portfolio you now create of multiple homes. So I think one of the things that helps uh, med students enter the housing market is um, what we know or come to learn is called like physician only loans or physician mortgages uh, where you don't where you can do basically zero down payment and not have to worry about any fees associated with that um, so 
you could probably explain sort of that process better than I can. Um, do you mind just kind of getting into what a physician-only loan is? Yes, I think the question is, like, is there anything specific about what's being discussed here that's about getting into real estate that's different than what, like, anyone else could do, you know, like lawyers or engineers? Uh, what is it about being a doctor that matters in this discussion, right? Because mm -hmm. this is a just general framework for just anybody that's interested in real estate. And the answer is no. There's two core differences. Um, and one of the major big differences is you have the effing doctor's loan. It's literally the best type of mortgage out there. Zero down, no PMI, good interest rates. You'd literally be a fool to not take advantage of it. And you can use it multiple times. Of course you should use it. So the only... And of course, you know, each lending institution can have its own products. And especially in the wake of COVID, they've, uh, I don't know, a lot of different companies have come out with different incentive packages for nurses or, you know, people in the front line and such. But with the doctor's loan, the only other product that is similar is the VA loan, which is also 100% financing. Um, of course, you have to be military. But the fees and the process involved are different, less advantageous from my perspective. Nothing personal against VA loans. Um, but I think even more important, from a seller's perspective, a lot of sellers do not like the VA loan. It's very advantageous for the buyer and somewhat disadvantageous for the seller. Whereas with the doctor's loan, it's advantageous for both. Um, so, oh my gosh, I love the doctor's loan. Um, again, you, you, I think, I don't know if this is well known, but most people, when they finance a home until you have 20% equity minimum, you must pay PMI, which is the mortgage insurance. Right. right. Is that common mm -hmm. knowledge? I, I don't think, I, I don't think it's super common. I think it's, it's useful to mention that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Right. I mean, that mortgage insurance that's tacked on extra per month is a big amount. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, uh, yeah, it's a significant percentage of your monthly payment. So the fact that you can come right out of the gate, um, I mean, it, it, it's the type of thing that would make people hate doctors even more. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that's huge. Um, so, yeah, and I I think the interest rates are a little bit worse, a little bit higher, but not significantly. And sometimes mm -hmm. um, it can even be lower. Now, I think one one thing is a lot of the physicians' loans. Um, in order to get a competitive interest rate, you should do an ARM, which is okay. the adjustable mortgage, right? Okay. Uh, I'd say the garden variety loan, people get, a if they can afford a conventional loan, they um, get a 30-year fixed 
mortgage, right? Which mm-hmm. means the interest is fixed for 30 years and you're paying the exact same amount for 30 years until you refinance it. Um, yeah. Whereas with the physician's loan, like my first home, when I bought it with the physician's loan was a five-year ARM. So for five years, it was fixed at this interest rate. And then after the five years, it could adjust based on an index, but it had a cap at what it could adjust to. It could also go down. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think some people, when they're first stepping into this world, get scared about that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I've seen the cross-section of different physicians along the timeline. And when you're an attending, gosh, your income goes 10x sometimes, often, mm-hmm. right? So it's never really an issue. Mm-hmm. So my advice in that area is if your residency is four years, get a five-year ARM. If your residency is five, six years, get a seven-year ARM. You can get a 10-year ARM, but I think you should just, because usually the lower the ARM, the lower your interest rate. Mm -hmm. But again, it's uh, unique to each lending institution. Is that? Yeah. That makes sense. What typically drives the um, your interest rates up and down once you're past that fixed rate? I know you said the the index, but can you kind of go into more depth about what that means? Sure, it's completely independent of the borrower, so it just depends on the federal economy. Got it. Yeah, it's. I should probably know this, but it's some index economic index that is outside of the borrower's control got it so it's sort of the global or not the global but the our national markets and probably the housing markets and how that's doing which is why interest rates have come down so much because houses were the prices were going up so much yes actually flip right yeah yeah (laughs) i realized i set up backwards (laughs) <laughs> it's okay. Actually, they've been directly proportional. House prices have gone up and interest rates have gone up mm-hmm. in the last years. Yeah. Right. Well, actually, no, that's not true. I'm sorry, Kenny. Initially, the housing prices went up, the interest rates went down. So you're right. right. It was right. the inverse. Yeah, yeah. But now that the COVID bubble is closing, rates are going back up. Rates- yeah, yeah, they've doubled, even tripled. And the, the thought is the thought is then house housing prices should eventually start to come down, which is what I think a lot of people are waiting to look for. I know a lot of people are waiting for that. Personally, I don't see that happening. Yeah. Yeah. At least not in my area. Mm-hmm. If I had to gander a guess, I, I don't think it would happen nationally. Mm-hmm. And uh, my personal reason for that belief is because of inflation. There has been just a absurd amount of money printed to combat the last recession, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I just see house prices going down. Mm-hmm. I've yeah. also heard I've also heard people saying that that's just not it's not going to come down. Yeah, yeah. And again, having experienced. Uh, Personally, being a homeowner and investor, I am so glad that I took 
major financial risks to invest in real estate because, you know, I invested pretty quickly. Um, I purchased my first home when I was 28 years old, which is pretty late, actually, I think, but because we had med school and all that. Right. And right. then I made my first investment uh, the next year. And I bought this condo for like 160 some thousand. And now it's worth 290 just in the last five years. Mm-hmm. No, seven years. I'm sorry. I'm trying to be younger than I actually am. <laughs> <laughs> we all are. <laughs> I think about when I graduated college and I'm like, oh my God, it's almost a decade ago. It's it's wild. Yeah, yeah it's crazy. But uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm sorry. I'm going off topic. No, no, please. Actually, this is this is perfect to lead into sort of the next topic I want to talk about, which was when you become an attending and you sort of have more money to play with, so to speak. Um, at least I'm interested in what possibilities there are for real estate to be part of your financial portfolio and how somebody starts to take that first step to owning multiple properties. Right, right. Um For me, you know, I, because I'm in the real estate industry, I heavily invest in real estate. I do have some diversification, but I'm I'm quite ignorant when it comes to the stock market, et cetera. So most of my investments are in real estate. Um, and so far it has been very, uh, uh, what's the word, fruitful for me. Mm-hmm. Um so, yeah, that disclaimer that this is really all I know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say there's a major compounding effect when it comes to investing in real estate. And if physicians are interested in going this route, I think it's pretty simple. Um, I'd say, you know, getting that first property is the hardest step, I think, psychologically and fiscally. Because, um, yeah, because you have to save up that cash to purchase that first one. Mm-hmm. And then from that first property, you have to be strict and patient about saving and reinvesting what you get out of it and put it all into the second one. Mm-hmm. But then you've got two houses piling into the third one. So it takes half the time mm-hmm. to get your third property. And that's your expounded compound growth curve, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So things just start to take off after the first two Mm -hmm. and definitely then three. So I think if you genuinely want to build a portfolio, again, time in the market, I think is important. Obviously not just in real estate, but stocks and everything else. So my advice for physicians specifically, I think would be finance your first few um, and maybe the ideal situation, which I didn't necessarily follow is to purchase your residency home and then rent that one out and purchase your second home and maybe 
I know you delay gratification so much as physicians, but maybe if you could just delay that gratification to go to the next, you know, the big home, you know, and like tell your spouse to just chill (laughs) for (laughs) two two years. We're not even talking like five years, just two years and just buy another investment type property Hmm. so that you can start feeding both. And then you know, go to your big house. And then you have two investment properties mm-hmm. that can feed the third one. And then eventually you'll have so much cash from your own, you know, your um, job and your investment properties that maybe you can buy the third, fourth one in cash. Mm-hmm. That's kind of, kind of the trajectory that I took is I financed yeah. my first few and then I bought, now I purchase a lot in cash. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially as the interest rates are going up. Now, when Mm -hmm. the interest rates were lower, I financed them again. Gosh, like, you know, last year I was getting 3.55%. Now it's seven, 8% for investment. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. Um, And that sort of sparks another question. I know you're sort of in the real estate game. So managing your own properties probably isn't too difficult for you. But when you see other physicians owning multiple properties, do you tend to see physicians managing their own properties or getting involved in property managers to help them with that? I definitely see more of the latter mm-hmm. because I don't know, as attendings, you're still, depending on your specialty, you're still very busy. And then of course you're um, you're investing in other parts of your life, like your personal family your passions. And so, yeah, I'd say most use a property manager. That's a tricky variable, I think, because um, I think finding and developing a relationship with a good property manager is, yeah, I, I can imagine that could be difficult. But if you can find that person, uh, totally worth it in my mm-hmm. opinion, because say mm-hmm. you pay five to 10%. Well, if you have a really good property manager, then hopefully they'll negotiate a high enough rental price to cover their uh, service to you and then some. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think if I were a physician wanting to do this, I'd either go one of two routes. One, Initially, I would try to find a good property manager relationship. Mm-hmm. And maybe in an ideal world, that property manager would also be your trusted real estate professional mm-hmm. because then they can help you identify and uh, get the property that would be best for your portfolio and then negotiate that rent price for you and then just hand it off to them and hope they don't die or get pregnant or... <laughs> Make make bad decisions. Yeah. Well, well, and the reason I'm saying this uh, with some caution is because I have seen a lot of property management companies um, fail mm-hmm. for X or Y reasons. Um, and usually it was because of internal uh, structural issues mm-hmm. with their employees. Anyway, if I can't find a good property manager that I can trust, then I think the route I would go is to just make the rent lower so that my maintenance um, obligations decrease while the quality of my tenant increases. 
mm-hmm. and try to get a professional like a resident. Mm-hmm. You know, right. because usually right. when you you decrease your rental price, you will attract better tenants, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then as long as you cover your cost of carrying the home, you can just kind of tuck that away and forget about it. Mm-hmm. Like say it costs fifteen hundred bucks to um, carry your uh, mortgage, your mortgage interest, insurance, taxes. Okay. Even if you got a tenant, say 1600 bucks a month to cover any repairs, well, say in 20 years, you have that paid off. You didn't invest really much money into it. And hopefully the cost of ownership was low. Then you have like a $300,000 college fund right there. Right. Really good point. Yeah. But I will say there is a cost of ownership mm-hmm. per unit. I own mm-hmm. a lot of units at this point, over a hundred. Mm-hmm. Um, but even if I were not to manage them myself, which I don't manage all of them myself, uh, there is a cost of ownership that sort of compounds. And I think you can feel during tax time <laughs> when you're having K-1 schedules for each property or, um, you know, when things can go wrong uh-huh. too. Yeah. Cool. Fascinating. That was really insightful. Oh, uh, good. So in closing, um, I think it's really useful for the listeners to kind of know what resources to look at um, on their own. I think hearing this conversation will be very useful just as people are graduating medical school, starting residency, and hopefully as you know me going on to attending ship. Um, it's very useful to have these conversations. Uh, but do you have any resources like online or books that you think help supplement sort of these conversations and really help drive home some of the points that make a better educated decision when the time comes to get into the real estate market? Well, I think that physicians should listen to Kenny John's podcast. (laughs) Thanks for the plug. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I feel like the physician population is probably at large very intelligent but uh, I guess basic business courses could help I mean you're going to spend money you're going to balance budgets you know so maybe some people need that I I guess most people don't doesn't really take much I think Mm -hmm. more so uh, maybe assess your tolerance for risk Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, and um yeah, for resources, I'm sorry. I guess I'm not very good resource for for providing resources, but but it's not complicated, you know. That's reassuring. I think it's That's just good to hear too. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. I guess yeah, I guess that's that is good. Uh I just don't think yeah, I don't think there's anything you have to learn or do before you can jump into it. You know, I think um Can I just say something? Please. Okay. I think doing residency, like you're finding your sweet spot for meeting meeting your different priorities, right? Location, amenities, commute. Mm -hmm. It's like one big multi-factor problem that needs to be optimized for. Mm -hmm. Um, It's more about utility and practicality. Like everything 
is in service of why you're there in the first place, which is to get through residency, then it's about the factors you're ser- solving for as an attending. Mm-hmm. As an attending, you're, when your income goes 10x and you move out of residency and survival mode, it's, you know, when you're looking for a house, it's more about looking for a home. Mm-hmm. It's a different problem to be solved for. It like moves more into what you want versus what you can afford, right? Mm-hmm. Right. You tend towards what you desire as opposed to the compromised world where most people live in. Right. And, and then you really get to express yourself with full freedom. Whereas until that point, you're having to compromise all of it. Right. And so I think, I think that physicians are in a unique, unique position Unlike, like I said, the other other professionals in this world, where in the healthcare system, you are an employee, and most people who are employees can't usually make this type of money, mm-hmm. right? Most people who make this type of money have to own a business, and then right. you have to create, cater to, and maintain a client pipeline. This just isn't a concern you have to factor in to your financial planning or strategy as a physician because you have job security that is non-peril, mm-hmm. don't you think? Yeah, definitely. Um, or, or do you feel like I'm overestimating no, physicians? No, not at all. I mean, the at least from the anesthesia world perspective, our job market is very hot right now because there's a lot of older physicians who are retiring. We haven't trained enough anesthesiologists through residency. So there's a, there's a ton of job security. Okay. Cause I remember even when I was going through med school, there'd be conversations that conversations that would come up where people were concerned about job security and where the medical field is going. And I haven't seen any of it change. I feel no. like there's, you feel like the job security is good. Definitely. The incomes are still high. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I think that's an important data points because as a physician, especially with tools like the doctor's loans, you, um, it, it all translates into better credit so you can get more capital. So it's like cheaper money. Mm-hmm. You're lower, you're a lower risk client financially. So you get better interest rates, better terms, and the cost of money is interest and terms, right? Mm-hmm. So as physicians, you literally get access to cheaper money. So you mm-hmm. should take advantage of that. And so I don't know. I, I think I just want to say um, there's just major delayed gratification in the physician career path. Um, but then when you do arrive, you know, which you're going to do soon, I'm very excited for you. Um, I think, yeah, every everything changes to what you actually want and you can achieve it. So yeah, have a rainy day fund just in case anything unexpected happens, but the rest of your money should be deployed and you mm-hmm. can diversify or real estate, I feel like is a very low risk um, investment vehicle. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think um, rather than like spending the time and energy into delving into the, the secret resources, I think, uh, I think maybe I would, I would advise physicians to just build up your tolerance for financial risk a bit. And whenever you deploy the money, it should be money that you're okay. Never seeing it again, yeah. never seeing again. Yeah. Like it's easily replaceable with your income, et cetera. And 
I don't know. Inst- I, I'm not very um, calculated and analytical about my personal uh, investments because you can plan for X, Y, and Z, mm-hmm. but often the reality will be C, F, and W. So just <laughs> save the money, right? So I think just save the money and take calculated risks when the opportunities come. And mm-hmm. I do think, I do think it's important to find and partner with a solid real estate professional who is very um, involved in the local market and to which in the area uh, you want to invest in and is going to be, um, yeah, I, I think that that's part of the strategy as physicians, because it's not like you want to trade all this training you've invested into yourself to forget it and start doing real estate, just mm-hmm. find a good professional. Yeah. And that's not solicitation. <laughs> you know, it's just, I think it's important. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Right. It's yeah, like any uh, type of specialist. Do you want to see someone who knows what they're talking about and is able to give you the best advice and information they can? Right. Right. And yeah, because in 2017, as you mentioned at the beginning of the post- podcast, I was uh, honored as a 30 under 30 realtor i do have a network of the best realtors in the country and i've learned a lot from them and it it has been helpful when these physicians go to california or boston or wherever mm-hmm. to say okay i know somebody who's at the top of their game mm-hmm. and if they're not busy enough to um take you on i've made those connections for people and it's been very uh fiscally uh helpful for for those physicians so I really commend you for being, yeah, being so broad-minded about your financial strategies and investments, even though right now you're neck deep in your own personal career. So thanks, Karen. Very impressed. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank Sorry, you. Sorry, for... I hope no, that this is complete. That was a great, that was a great ending and a great way to sort of summarize kind of everything we talked about. And I really value your time and I appreciate everything you had to say today. Oh, thanks so much, Kenny. Uh, I guess next I want to learn about how to get drugged up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you ever, if you ever need anesthesia, just give me a call sometime and we can, we can chat about it. I definitely, I have friends and family who go through that and anesthesia, I think provides a decent amount of anxiety for patient, for people who have never experienced it before. Um, but we could we can talk about the ins and outs of anesthesia at some point. Yeah, I'll have to check out your other podcasts. Yeah, um, what are your, what are you gonna subspecialize in? Uh, critical care. Wow. Do you think you're going to um, stick around in the Boston area? Uh, that's the big question these days. Uh, originally, that's kind of what I thought I was going to do, but now that the job market has been so like I was saying, like white hot right now, I've sort of broadened my net, so to speak, um, that I'm casting. So I'm looking at different jobs that are on the market right now. But ideally, I would do sort of half ICU time and half anesthesia time. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. I think I've noticed in my clients that they have a hard time switching from residency survival mode to attending live my life mode. Yeah. It's like that del- gratification never arrives. Yeah. And that makes me sad. Right. Because I mean, I'm an immigrant mm-hmm. and 
I went to med school. Mm-hmm. So, and then I didn't practice medicine. So I had hun- over a hundred thousand dollars of debt after medical school and then just not practicing. Yeah. Which left me in survival mode for a bit. But then I made money pretty quickly. And sounds like now, it. yeah. And I guess I was lucky. Whereas with physicians, it's almost guaranteed. You finish your training, you get through the gauntlet, and you are going to make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, it, of course, it's relative, but I mean, you're going to be in the top three to one to three percent, or even less, of the world in terms of fiscal resources. So mm-hmm. I think, uh, yeah, I'd really love to see a, a lot of the attending physicians just really fully embrace the thinking of what do I want now? Not right. just in terms of investment, like financially, but for their own health and passions and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe that sounds, maybe that sounds condescending. I don't, I don't mean to be. No, I, I know just what you mean. Do you know what I'm talking about? You work basically like 12 years of your life trying to strive towards something and almost like you make so many sacrifices to get to it. It's hard to break yourself out of that mold and routine of that way of thinking. Do you feel that within yourself? Like the difficulty of breaking out of survival mode? The more I've sort of talked to people through this podcast and like uh, professions outside of anesthesia or outside of medicine, uh, the more I've realized I need I need to break out of that, and I need to take I need to take some pride and ownership in how far I've come and reap the benefits of what I've sowed for myself. Yeah, yeah. But do you do you sense that in your colleagues sometimes they have difficulty transitioning out of that? You do. Okay. Oh yeah. Which is why you're hoping to share these podcasts and such. Yeah, inspire, inspire others. Yeah. Okay. Well, you've inspired me. I don't know what I'm doing other than my <laughs> job and dealing with my kids. <laughs> so that that you could add on a great uh, podcast interviewee <laughs> to to your long list of attributes you already do. Oh, I don't think so. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, thanks again. Thanks again for helping me think about this from a different perspective than I usually do. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, thank you for your time yeah. and thank you for breaking down a lot of these things that no one teaches us about unless we talk to real estate agents like you. Oh, dude, you're amazing. I'm so impressed. Congrats on Harvard and Brown and your artistic pursuits outside of it. Like, yeah, you're amazing. Thanks, thanks Kara. I'm a loser. <laughs> okay. Not by any I don't means. have a podcast. <laughs> I can't say I'm I can't say I'm 30 under 30. (laughs) That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Uh yeah, I think Harvard uh training. Yeah, I think that's cooler. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway. Thanks, Kara. Uh, We'll be in we'll be in touch. Yeah, okay. Thank you. Thank you. We'll definitely we'll definitely be in touch in the future. Sounds good. See you, man. Take care.